In Philippians chapter 2, begin reading with me in verse 19, please. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself may also come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him. And not only him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because of the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service to me. Timothy and Epaphroditus perform a great service to the Apostle Paul and fill a deep need that was present in his life. As we have looked at thus far in this book, twice we have seen that Paul calls attention to their behavior whether he is with them or whether he is absent. Furthermore, he has also enjoined on them a particular attitude, an attitude to be like-minded, an attitude to consider the other better than self and esteem others more highly than self. He illustrated that with Jesus Christ and his selfless sacrifice. He's also said, I am in prison, but the imprisonment with which I am experiencing is producing good in the lives of people. They're being emboldened. They're being strengthened. But there are some who are going about preaching that simply want to undermine my good work. But regardless, the gospel is being preached, and I rejoice because of that. Now he comes to verses 19 down through verse 30. And to me, what he's saying here is, let me illustrate. Let me illustrate this selfless service. Let me illustrate this usefulness. Let me illustrate what I've been talking to you about, how we can serve the Lord and help one another. He uses these two men to illustrate that point. The first of the two Obviously, he's going to talk about Timothy. And reading again, verse 19. I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. That also may be encouraged when I know your state. 
For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. All seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character. And that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him to you at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord, I myself also may come shortly. Paul said, I want to send Timothy to you for your good. And I want to send Timothy to you for his good. And whatever is taking place here that is going to hold him up, I hope that in a short period of time that will pass and that I can send him to you quickly. In addition, I hope that whatever that is that's challenging him at this time will also pass and I can come to you shortly. But there's something said about Timothy here that I think speaks of mature character from this young man. And I want you to look at that with me as we parse what has been said here. First of all, he says in verse 20, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your estate. The idea of like-minded is I have no one of equal soul. I have no one that has the same kind of disposition toward you that I have toward you. No one that has the same kind of value of your well-being that I have in your well-being. Paul would say, the way I talk is the way he talks. The way I walk is the way he walks. Whatever I do, he is like-minded with me. It's interesting that he says, I have no one like-minded. Wait a minute. Were Paul and Timothy the only ones there? No, if you just thumb over real quickly to chapter 4 and verse 18, it says, <laughs> I'm sorry, chapter 4 and the last part, he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren who are with me, greet you, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are in the household of Caesar. There are other brethren there. As I referenced a moment ago, and you go back to chapter 1, you see how there are some there who are preaching, <laughs> pardon me, some out of envy, some out of strife. But they're there preaching. But Paul says, I have no one similar to me that's like-minded, like Timothy. <clears throat> what a commendation of this young man. No one like-minded. Second of all, he says, who will sincerely or genuinely or legitimately care for your state. I have no one that is of equal soul, of equal mind, that will have the same genuine concern for you. And this idea that he says, sincere care for you, is the term we get the word worry from. It's the word we get the word anxious from. This word care <coughs> is the word from which we go to the word worry or anxious. I have no one that will be genuinely worried about you. I have no one that will be genuinely anxious for you. But wait a minute. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Let your supplications of prayer be made known to God. So how can he say here, I have no one that will worry for you the same way I will worry for you, but don't worry. How can you worry, but not worry? Well, the difference is in the context. 
in Philippians chapter 4, he says, cast all your cares upon him with every prayer and supplication. Don't let your own concerns overwhelm you personally. But this same term that he says, I have no one who will genuinely care for you, is the same term Paul uses in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, when after mentioning all the things Eric elucidated from there, the beatings, the shipwreck, etc., he says, but the care of the churches are on me daily. The anxiousness, the concern, the anxiety that I have for all the churches is on me daily. Paul is saying, don't let your own personal concerns overwhelm you. But I have no, no one who will lose sleep over you that, like I have lost sleep over you, like Timothy. Timothy is anxious for you. Timothy is concerned for you. Timothy is genuinely caring for you, like I genuinely care for you. As I am anxious of all the churches, so Timothy is anxious for you just as genuinely as I am. And so, what you see there is you see his sympathy. The first of all is you see the similarity with Paul and Timothy. Secondly, you see the sympathy that is similar with Paul and Timothy. But then he will say in verse 21, For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Now we see the single-mindedness of Timothy. Paul is also similar to Paul, not only in sympathy, but also similar to Paul in his single-mindedness. And again, all seek their own. And again, look at all the people that surround him here. All the people that are there to serve with Paul. But all others are seeking their own welfare. But you are seeking only the concerns that have to do with Christ Jesus. You're not overwhelmed with all the cares of this life. You have a genuine sympathetic concern and are single-mindedly focused on the well-being of these people. Just like I am. Who was more passionate about the cause of Christ and the gospel and the people of God than the Apostle Paul? He seems to have few, if any, rivals in that. And Paul is saying the same passion I have is the same passion he had. We share that same single-minded focus. Then he says, but you know his proven character. You know how seasoned he is. Do you see how similar he is to me? Do you see the sympathy that we share? Do you see the single-mindedness that we share? He's also seasoned. You have known this young man. If you go back to Acts chapter 16, Whenever Paul and Timothy first meet. Do you remember it's in Acts chapter 16 where the church at Philippi is started? And it's very possible that Timothy was part of that starting of that church. And now Timothy has gone about with Paul traveling around. And so the church at Philippi knows this young man. They're intimately acquainted with him. He has proven himself to them. This is not a novice to them. 
This is someone who is proven to them. He has demonstrated worthiness of your trust. He's proven. But then, notice again, that as a son, he says, with his father, he served me in the gospel. That word serve there is the word for slave. That as a son with his father, he slaved with me. It's not that he just served me, he slaved with me in the gospel. And notice, notice the sacrificial nature of what he says here, the submissive nature of, of Timothy here. He served with me as a, as a son to the father. Here's the attitude that Timothy has toward this older Paul who is his father in the faith. He has submitted everything to following him and to being similar to him, just as a loving son to a father. But then notice, he says, he served with me in the gospel. Notice, he's not just seasoned. It says, he served with me in the gospel, therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes. Now you see his sacrificial nature. He served with me in the gospel. He has sacrificed everything. We don't know much about Timothy's personal life throughout the gospel narrative, the narrative of the epistles and the book of Acts. When he left home, did he ever go back? Did he ever marry? What kind of life did he live? Was it a life of poverty? Was it a life of, of some comfort? What did Timothy give up to be a companion similar to Paul? You see, you see his sacrifice? His mother and his grandmother instilled their faith in him. And obviously in instilling their faith in him, they instilled something about him serving others. But more than serving others, being a slave for the gospel. The reason that Timothy is of value to Paul is because he has such respect for Paul as a son to a father and has sacrificed his life to serve with Paul. And then we see in verse 23 how useful he is. He is serviceable. We see, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes. I want to send him to you, but not quite yet. As soon as I can, I want to send him to you. But I'm not quite ready to send him to you yet because I still need him a little bit longer. As soon as it passes, whatever's there passes, I'm going to send him to you. But understand, he is useful to me. Now, where's Paul when he writes this? When he tells these brethren at Philippi, he is similar to me. Here's this young man who also is sympathetic like I am. Here's this young man that is single-minded like I am. Here's this young man that is proven to you. And here's this young man that is submissive and sympathetic. And here's this young man that is sacrificing everything to you. Where's Paul? Paul's feet are not outside the prison. Paul is bound in prison. He is bound chained to the praetorian guard 24 hours a day and as he's there absent from timothy 
He's thinking of someone who has given himself in a like-minded, self-sacrificing way for the benefit of others, for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul can't take it further, but Timothy can. And he says, I'm going to send him to you as soon as I can, but I can't quite do it now because I need him here with me. He's still useful for me. And then he closes, but I trust in the Lord myself that I shall come shortly. Paul was eventually released, but under house arrest. His ability to travel like he was, was restricted. And so Timothy is this man like-minded. The second man that we see in our narrative is the man with this odd name, Epaphroditus. He says, yet I consider it necessary to send to you. Pause. Look at verse 19 and verse 24, the introduction of those two verses. But I trust in the Lord. But I trust in the Lord. What Paul's saying is, I pushed all my chips to the center because of my trust in God. But now notice the change in the language. He doesn't say, but I trust in the Lord. He said, yet now I consider it necessary to send him to you. You know, we could say in accommodative terms, in accommodative terms, that Paul was a super apostle. Now, he doesn't view himself that way. Those are my accommodative terms. Uh, that's not Eric, Eric's appendage. That's from the book of Ricky. We'd say he was a super apostle, a super Christian. Here you have Timothy, that he is the protege. He is the super protege. Everybody's going to know who Timothy is. Everybody's going to know who Paul is. Timothy does more work with Paul. He's going to leave him in Ephesus. He knows he's known at Philippi here. Timothy is going to be known by people. Paul travels everywhere. He's known by people. But you only have two mentions of this man in the Bible. Turn to chapter 4 and verse 18. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. The point about this is, as I have painted the hyperbole there, is this. Epaphroditus is just a normal, everyday guy. Epaphroditus is going to be me and you. Epaphroditus is going to live his life in Philippi just like everybody else in Philippi is going to live their life. He's not going to be have, have any attention drawn to him like Paul and Timothy have attention drawn to them. He's just simply Epaphroditus. But in the church at Philippi, among the bishops and the deacons, there's something that is known about this man. There's something known about him because they choose this man as their messenger to take to Paul what he needs. Again, Paul's in prison. He can't raise support for himself. He needs support. And so the Philippians, what they do is they gather support. And Paul said, in the beginning, you communicated with me. And now you've done it more often. And now you have gathered some more. And you have sent Epaphroditus with the gift to me. You have sent to provide for my needs by the hand of Epaphroditus, your representative. Obviously, they see something in Epaphroditus that is trustworthy. 
This man is genuine. This man is dependable. Second thing they see about Epaphroditus is that he is worthy of service. He has demonstrated he can be a servant to others or they would not have sent him to Paul. You're not going to appoint a man to carry the gift to Paul who has some sort of shady character about him. And you're not going to ask someone to go serve Paul who has demonstrated a selfishness of only serving themselves. You're only going to choose someone as your representative that you can put full confidence in to be a person of integrity and be a person that will give themselves to the service of the person you are sending to. And the third characteristic of this man, this church sees, is that he is obviously a man of character, a man of courage. Again, Paul is in a Roman prison. We know how the Romans feel about Christians. And Epaphroditus is carrying this gift as representative of the church of Philippi to Paul in prison. And Philippi has been colonized by Rome. It's a little bit of Rome away from Rome. It's under the oversight of Rome. And now you have Epaphroditus, who is a man of some courage, that will go and take that gift. Now let me pause just to make this observation. The only way the church functions when we function as a church, as a collective, is representatively. Is representatively. And here Epaphroditus is a representative to function on behalf of the church at Philippi. Shepherds, elders, bishops are simply representatives. They're representatives of the people that have asked them to oversee, to watch, and to feed. They act representatively for the flock. On occasion, when we send support to the men in India, some of our men have difficulty receiving their support. We have delivered that support in several ways. One year when Boyd King went, he was the representative of the church to take with him the support to the preachers in India to disperse that support. We have used David Barnes for the same thing. Just as last year, we found another source for a person to represent the church to deliver that support. When we ask someone to represent this church, to function on behalf of this church, we are going to choose a man or a woman like Epaphroditus. Someone that has the trust someone who's demonstrated they can serve, and someone who can demonstrate they have the courage to fulfill the representative responsibility. That's Epaphroditus here. One more caveat before we break something else down, and that is his name is interesting. Epaphroditus is a derivative of Aphrodite, which was the goddess of love among the Greeks. Among the Romans, it was Venus, the goddess of love. And so it means lovely or charming. His name means lovely or charming. But Epaphroditus, a derivative of Aphrodite, was from the mythological gods of the pagans. So that would suggest, just suggest, that perhaps Epaphroditus came from a pagan environment. 
He came from an environment where his name was derived from a pagan goddess. But now then Epaphroditus has learned the gospel and the gospel has implanted itself in his heart and now he is no longer a pagan. He now is a Christian. And notice how Paul describes this man. He says, he is my brother. He's not just my brother in life. He is my common. He is my brother. This term brother is an affectionate term. It's a term that speaks of strong bonding and strong affiliation. You know, sometimes we use the word brother because we don't know the name of the person. It's not unusual when I go on the road and meet people that they come and visit here and they know my name, but I learned their name in a different pew. And now I know they know my name because they call me Ricky. And I can't for the life of me figure their name out. So I just say, hey, brother. Brother's always an out. But it's not just an out. It's a term that speaks of strong bond and strong relationship. When we call each other brother or sister, it's not just an appellative. It's something that says we have a common bond together, and that bond is strong together. And so when Paul says, my fellow brother, he's using the strongest term of favor that he can use to speak of Epaphroditus. He has a strong bond with him. But furthermore, he says, he is my fellow worker. He's not just my brother in life and my brother in his common cause. He is also my fellow laborer. He comes alongside me. Epaphroditus comes alongside me, and alongside he works alongside me, hand in hand, cheek to jowl. He works right beside me. He is someone with whom I am strongly attached and someone that we share a common relationship with in the work we do. He comes strongly beside me. And then he says, he is my fellow soldier. Now Paul is taking it up a notch here. To have said my fellow soldier is to achieve a place of honor. What he's saying is, he is my comrade as commander-in-chief. We say the President of the United States is the commander-in-chief. Paul has said of Epaphroditus, in this battle we're speaking spiritually about, he has come alongside me as a worker, and he's more than that, he is a fellow commander-in-chief. He has achieved a place of honor with Paul. And so he says, he is my fellow soldier. He's my fellow brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. You see the strong bond that has developed between Paul and Epaphroditus here. But then Paul describes him again and says, but your messenger, the one who ministered to my needs, to you, he's your messenger. To you, he's your representative. But to me, he's the one that has come to minister to my needs. However, there's something else going on here. 
because the people in Philippi have such a strong kinship with Epaphroditus, they hear something about him. They hear that this man is sick and they don't know how sick he is. And they're worried about his life. And so he says, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because of you, because you have heard he was sick. He is your minister. He's here to serve me on your behalf. But because he heard that you were so concerned about him, he is now filled with sorrow that you have such a heartache and a concern for him that he is now sick. He is, he is distressed about this. So what's Paul going to do? For indeed he was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy upon him, and not only on him, but on me also. Paul said, in essence, God forbid this man should die while he's here helping me on your behalf. This man is sick. I don't want to lose him here representing you, and you don't want to lose him while he's your minister here serving me. We're both sharing this sincere concern for this man's well-being. And so Paul then said, lest I have sorrow upon sorrow. He has heard how concerned you are, and he's brokenhearted that you are anxious about his health. And he's concerned how you are, and I'm so worried about him. I didn't want him to die while he's with me, lest I have sorrow upon sorrow. How do you have sorrow upon sorrow? <laughs> how do you have hope against hope? This sorrow upon sorrow exaggerates the sorrow that was there. It double emphasizes the sorrow that Paul would have felt. This was not have been a casual thing for him. And so he says, therefore I send him more eagerly. I want him to stay with me. But I know the strong concern you have for him. And I have that same concern for him. But I'm more concerned for you than I am for me. And so I'm going to send him to you earnestly. Eagerly I'm going to. I'm not withholding him from you. That when you see him, you may rejoice. And I'll be less sorrowful. He is filled with sorrow because he's heard how sick, you have heard how sick he is. I don't want him to die and he was near to death. That would be sorrow upon sorrow for me. So I'm going to do two things. I'm going to relieve your sorrow and I'm going to relieve my sorrow. I'm going to, as soon as I can, send him back to you. And when I do that, you'll see him and you'll be glad. You'll be relieved. You'll take a big breath and say, Epaphroditus is fine. And I'll take a big breath and go, Epaphroditus is back with you, and everybody's happy now because you see how good he's doing, and now I will know that you have had your sorrow relieved. You see how reciprocal that is? You see how reciprocal that is? I'm reminded of the words of, of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 4. The comfort with which we comfort one another, God has comforted us. God comforts us. We're comforted. We comfort one another. God comforts us. We're comforted. We comfort one another. Epaphras was sent. He served. They're sorrowful. Paul's sorrowful. He sins. They're happy. He's happy. And you see how that flows one through the other. Why? Because they have this deep personal relationship that's here. Put a peg there. We're going to come back to that. So he says, verse 29, Receive him there from the Lord with all gladness. And hold such men in esteem. Don't hold anything against him. 
Listen, receive him with the gladness that he deserves and the gladness you deserve. Don't hold anything against this man because for the work of Christ's sake, he came close to death. Translated, he put his neck on the line. Not only was he sick nigh unto death, he also risked his life for me. Remember I told you he was a man of courage? He risked his life for me. He put his neck on the line for me almost to the point of losing his life serving with me. And so when he comes, you receive him with gladness. Not regarding his life to supply what lack was lacking in your service for me. Whatever you lacked toward me, he filled that. And he put his neck on the line to serve me for you in your behalf. So Paul says, do you see what I mean when I say, fulfill my joy by being like-minded? Fulfill my joy by having more concern for the care of others than you have for yourself? Fulfill my joy by having the same self-sacrificing nature that Christ had when he gave himself on the cross for us and thought not robbery to empty himself of his glory in heaven and came to serve. Do you see what I mean by that? Do you see the contrast between Timothy and Epaphroditus to these men who are now serving out of selfish interest, out of envy and strife, just to poke me in the eye? Do you see the difference in these two? Do you see how you behave yourself whether I'm with you or not? Here's the illustration. Now I want to give a few takeaways from that, pull the peg back up. The first takeaway I would give is this. Here are three gospel preachers. Here are three men serving the Lord for a common cause. Let me say it that way. Here are three men serving for a common cause, the Lord. And there's no jealousy among them. There's no envy among them. There's no competition among them. Here are three men who have become mutual partners in serving the Lord. And the church at Philippi has bishops and they have deacons. And these men are there serving, and the bishops and deacons aren't even named here. But they all have formed a partnership of mutuality because of the common cause they serve. It is a bane. It is not just a black eye. It is a stain that is deep. Whenever there becomes strife between the bishops and the workers, the evangelists. It is a bane when there becomes strife between people who are to be mutual partners together, looking out for the good of the other, to share a like mind, when we find ourselves at odds with one another. That's not what Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus illustrate for us. God forbid that I or you or we, I individually, you individually, or we collectively, would ever let the spirit of those men who are serving out of envy and strife separate us from the mutual partnership that we have enjoined ourselves to. We have all agreed to be here together as one. 
And that's what Paul, Epaphroditus, and Timothy tell us. We're not mutual competitors. We are fellow laborers. We are fellow brothers. We are fellow soldiers. You serve, I serve. And we all serve for the good of one another, but ultimately for the good of the Lord. Second takeaway is whatever the cost, whatever the price, it's worth the cost. Whatever the price of serving the Lord, it's worth the cost. He said he risked his life for me. He was willing to risk his life for me. Not just for the Apostle Paul as the man, the Paul, the man Paul, but because of the work Paul was doing as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Whatever the price demanded of us, it's worth the cost. But here's the deal for us. We sit here today with a silver spoon in our mouths. Every one of us have a silver spoon in our mouths. We've not got by knocking our door to come and arrest us. We have protection out in the parking lot. We have men in the foyer watching. Does it take the risk of our life to realize the value of what we have? Before we really appreciate the value of it? I'm not being asked to give my life for anything that is stretching my life. And neither are you. Then sometimes, Ricky just needs to get over himself. And realize, whatever price is to be paid is not because of my inconvenience. The third and final thing is this. We talk and we read about seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. And the cynics point accusing fingers at us. The only way to quiet the accusing finger is to be like Timothy and Epaphroditus. The way we walk this off the page is seeking the first, the kingdom of God and His righteousness only has merit and quiets the cynic whenever we have a like mind like Paul. And when we have a relationship like Paul had with Epaphroditus and like they have with one another. To quiet the cynic we embrace the heart of the Lord. And that's how Paul describes Timothy and Epaphroditus. Paul said, whether I'm with you or I'm absent, you obey the Lord and model yourself after these two men. Men and women both can do that. 
The real question, however, is not, do I have a mind like Paul? The real question is not, am I like-minded or Paul? The real question is, do I have the mind of Christ? That's the real standard of measure. Do I have that kind of humble, giving, serving life of Christ? You see, that's what coming to the gospel is all about. It's all about saying I'm done with self. Self has been crucified. I've come to bury that old man of sin. Come to be raised anew. And to model my life after Christ. Giving myself to Him. If we can help you do that this morning, won't you come while we stand and while we sing? Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.